Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome to worship uh, at Ball Healthy today. If you're visiting with us, it's lovely to have you. And we hope that you feel welcomed and you're able to join us for a tea or a coffee after the service over in the Forsyth Hall. Um, just a few wee announcements before we begin. Firstly, thanks to Rona for deputising for Alan today. Alan's not keeping so well, so Rona's stepped into the breach. Um, so thanks for helping out today, uh, Rona. And then secondly, just to say, and I'm sure many of you will have noticed uh, on the way in today, unfortunately we had a car crash into the cemetery wall uh, yesterday about four o'clock. Uh, this is the second time that this has happened in the space of a year. Uh, and the damage that's been sustained, thankfully there were no fatalities, there could have been, there were people in the graveyard at the time, the driver has survived. Uh, but there's a lot of damage to uh, headstones within uh, the graveyard. It's cordoned off, uh, we're not supposed to be in, but you can actually get in. And if you do want to go in and just check that your loved one's headstone is okay, um, then I would suggest that you feel free to do that today. The damage is, is limited really to the, is to the right hand side of the graveyard as you enter into it. This is the old, sorry, the new graveyard down by Victoria Hall. So the damage is limited to the right hand side um, and a fairly narrow channel uh, of damage, but really some headstones just decimated many on their sides. Um, from the last time, it's going to take a long time to sort this out, and it's just gutting, and we're particularly gutted for the folk for whom this is the second time that this has happened within the space of a year. No doubt there will be lots of discussions about it. Um, but if you want to speak to me afterwards, I've been down, I've got an idea of uh, which headstones are particularly damaged. Uh, I can have a wee chat with you about that afterwards, or we could down and visit together after the service if you want uh, to do that. We're going to begin our worship this morning in the words of hymn uh, 127, O worship the King, all glorious above. Let's worship God together.
Let's join together in prayer now. Let us pray. Earth, air, sea, space, glory, angels, power, grace, hills, dust, rain, thunder, songs, praise, prayer, wonder. And then silence. We run out of words, God. Either that or they seem wholly inadequate for the task. Our best efforts at saying what and who you are are like an infant's crayoned efforts at the sunset or a child's first foray into poetry's meter and rhyme. So far from capturing the truth and yet praiseworthy all the same because they show that we are looking, looking at you. And most of the time, that is all that you ask of us, our attention. So here we are again, Father, trying to be attentive, asking you to do something different, to say something new to us, something direct to the core of our being that will get our attention and send us out from this place knowing that we have been with you and expecting to find you in the week that lies ahead. We come here with our minds juggling many things. And as we move into worship, we want to set aside all that is going round and round in our heads. We don't deny those things. We don't pretend them out of existence. But for this hour, we want to set them down and have our hands free and our minds free to accept what you want to bring us. So we take our concerns about work and we set them to the side. We take the difficulties we're having with situations or with people and we set them to the side. We take our thoughts about what we're doing later today or in the week to come and we set them to the side. We set them down one by one until our minds and our hands have come to rest and we find ourselves still and attentive to you alone. Good Father, you stand at the door of our hearts and knock and knock knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. You must really want our company. 
Forgive us when we don't respond, when we turn up the volume of life, our work, or our play, so we don't have to hear that knocking, that annoying person seeking entry, wanting to interrupt us and change things. Lord, we spend so much of our lives pursuing fulfillment and peace in all the wrong places. If only we could learn to open that door more often and let you in. We need to learn, Lord. So help us. Help us this morning. Because we ask it all in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18, and reading verses 1 to 8, and Marjorie Roadnight is going to read for us. The parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Marjorie. Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what this story teaches us about, about you and about ourselves and about prayer and persistence. And we pray that as we attend to it now for this next 10 or 15 minutes, that you would bring it home to our hearts and minds and we would know where it fits into our lives in this particular time and place that we are in. So hear these prayers because we offer them in Christ's name. Amen. 
So what are we meant to make of this judge in Jesus' story? He's not the kind of judge that you see in the movies, the kind who wear black robes and white powdered wigs. He's more like a local counselor, someone given the power to arbitrate on family issues and neighborhood disputes, someone whose job is to try and help folk in a town or in a village to get along together. That's the kind of man he was, or should have been, because this man has only one thing in mind, and that is looking after number one. He was no stranger to brown envelopes under the table. His principles were as malleable as putty. If you had a problem and you had enough money, then he would find a way to get things done. Obstacles could be cleared, permissions granted, queues jumped for the right price. Ask him privately if he had no shame, and he would smile and shrug his shoulders. Well, I'm not embarrassed by what I do. People need me. You need me. Why else would you be here? And if you asked him what he thinks God makes of his behavior, he'd fix you with a cynical stare, eyebrows raised in disbelief. God? What's God got to do with it? This is business. This is the real world. Now, in that same town, there was a woman who lived alone. She'd lost her husband some time ago and had no family to speak of. Mostly, she got on with getting on, pretty much invisible to everyone around her. And this woman who lived alone had been double-crossed and taken advantage of. And when she spoke up about it, it was almost as if nobody had said anything at all. So one morning she decided to go and visit the judge to get his help in righting the wrongs against her. On the first day she was told by his secretary that he couldn't see her today. Come back tomorrow, she said, and she did. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and for 14 days she waited in the queue with those who went before her, called in one by one to oil the wheels of the judge's motivation with a bribe or a promise. And at the end of the day, he would leave his office, and rising to her feet, she would ask for justice, but he never stopped. He never spoke back. He just waved it away dismissively. That weekend, on the golf course, he walked onto the tee with his crooked buddies. And who was behind the perimeter fence but the woman? Give me justice, she called. Give me justice. And she followed him around for the entire 18 holes. He played a lousy round, lost seven balls, and broke his putter over his knee. Every time he steadied himself to play a shot, his pals cackled and whispered, give me justice, give me justice. 
It's hard to concentrate when you know that someone's watching you all the time. He was in a foul mood. But he got home and he checked his answering machine and the robotic voice said, you have 14 messages. And he listened and each one was the same. Give me justice. Give me justice. He went for a meal with a local lady friend that he was close to several times a week. And through the rain-streaked window, he saw the widow out on the pavement looking in, mouthing, give me justice. It put him right off his lasagna. Last thing at night, first thing in the morning, he would hear the sound of her knuckles knocking on the front door, and then the knocking would stop, and there would be a squeak from the letterbox hinges, and her voice would echo all the way down the hallway, give me justice, give me justice. And one night, he decided that he'd had enough. He pulled his head out from under the pillow, got out of bed, put on his fine silk bathrobe and threw open his bedroom window and he looked down at her and she up at him and neither said anything until breaking the silence she said, give me justice. Look lady, I don't care about you. I don't care about your problems. You mean nothing to me, okay? But you are wearing me out here for Pete's sake. I'll sort it out, all right? Just give me peace. Give me justice, she said. And despite himself, he laughed at her persistence. I'll fix things up in the morning, I swear it. Now just go back home to wherever it is you call home. And the woman who lived alone Visible to neighbors, unheard by the movers and the shakers, smiled at how her persistence had let her be seen, had given her a voice with which to speak, and was beginning to bring justice her way. And Jesus' point in telling this tale is this. If persistence can wear down a man like that, how much more will it affect a God who cares? A God who listens to the voiceless, is reliable in loving the lost and the lonely, wants to defeat, I beg your pardon, wants to defend the least and the most forgotten and finally prove justice right. What Jesus is doing here is making a comparison of contrasts. Against the deafness of the judge, we have a God who listens. Against the indifference of a selfish man's heart, we have a God who feels the wrong that's done to the weakest and to the defenseless. This judge needed wearing down before he would act. Jesus implies in contrast that God never needs convincing to do the right thing by us and to bring justice to those who need it most. Why does Jesus want to make this distinction in the story that he tells his followers? Because in a world like ours that's motivated by greed and always in a hurry and demanding instant answers, it would be easy 
to give up and stop praying, to begin to lose heart. How do you know when you're losing heart? Well, it's when you find yourself thinking, this is pointless. Why am I doing this? What difference does any of this make anyway? Losing heart is like the long, weary sigh that we give out when we turn back from where it is that we're trying to get to because we've become convinced that we're never going to make it. We have a saying in Ireland, when someone reaches the place when they just want to give up, especially in the face of illness or old age, we say they've turned their face to the wall. And that conjures an image of someone lying in bed and turning on their side and deciding just not to engage with anyone or anything anymore. And Jesus says that is what we are not to do when it comes to praying. Don't give up speaking to God. Don't stop seeking his kingdom in your life and in the lives of those who have no voice. Don't lose heart. Because whatever the reason for any delay in getting an answer to your prayer, it's not because God doesn't care or isn't at work. But we find that hard to accept, don't we? Why, Jesus? Why should we continue to persist? Give us one good reason in a world like ours to keep praying. And Jesus' answer comes in the form of this funny little story. And he's saying, don't lose heart because of the character of God. Don't give up because the God who loves you is listening to your prayer and working with your prayer in ways that we just can't quantify or measure. God is at work in this world like the poor widow grinding down evil with his unrelenting love. So even a prayer that's offered at our wit's end with no possible space for hope to squeeze in will find itself heard and answered. Though the answer may not come in the way or at the time that we expect. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with every avenue blocked, praying for a different way, for another cup to drink from, praying for God's goodwill to be done even as he's betrayed, beaten, stripped, and crucified. And on the cross, telling God of his abandonment, asking forgiveness for his killers, offering up his spirit in one last gasped prayer. Despite all that he went through in those last few hours, he doesn't lose heart, and he keeps praying throughout it. He prays like that poor woman, asking for justice, and God answers his prayer with the resurrection. A prayer answered in time, not delayed because God is deaf to Jesus' need or indifferent to his suffering, but answered in the mystery of God's timing, which none of us can understand 
or coerce or preempt. The message for today is don't give up. Keep telling God where you are and how you are because the God who loves you is listening and he's present in the worst situation, working slowly, patiently, sometimes painfully towards our healing and our wholeness. So don't give up when you're wearied of nursing your loneliness or when you're angry at the hand that life has dealt you or when you're tempted to throw in the towel and give up on change or when your life seems reduced to a cycle of drudgery or a spiral of mistakes and false dawns. The Psalms are full of lonely, angry, despairing, doubting voices. But for all their struggles, the one thing those psalmists never do is give up hope. I read a lovely story about persistence a while ago. Uh, Charles Dickens tells what's thought to be a true story about the parents of Thomas a Becket. Thomas's father Gilbert was a, a merchant and he once made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. But while he was there, he was taken captive by a Saracen who had a beautiful daughter. And she fell in love with Gilbert and indicated that she wanted to marry him and would become a Christian if they could escape together. And Gilbert found himself falling in love too. But an opportunity arose for him, for he and his manservant to make an escape. And when he returned to England, he tried to put all thoughts of the girl out of his mind because it was just too painful to bear because he had genuinely loved her. But she hadn't forgotten him. She left her father's home in disguise and she made her way down to the coast and she'd only learned two English words, London and Gilbert. And she went out among the ships saying, London, London, again and again. And the sailors showed her a ship that was bound for London and she paid for her passage with some of her jewels. And as the merchant was sitting one day in his office in London, his manservant came running in saying, Master, the Saracen lady's here. As I live, she's going up and down the street calling out, Gilbert, Gilbert. And the merchant hurried out to find her. And when she saw him, she fainted in his arms. Soon afterwards, they were married. And in time, she gave birth to Thomas, who went on to become the Archbishop of Canterbury. The Saracen lady, the persistent widow, the Lord himself, in Gethsemane and on the cross are telling us all the same thing this morning. No matter how things seem, don't give up. We're going to sing together now hymn number 75, I love the Lord because he heard.
Marjorie is going to lead us now in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we pray for strength as we wait for God's justice to address the many injustices in the world. The Bible is very clear that taking a life is sinful and abhorrent, and it is a sin against you, yet we see evidence of war crimes being committed. Your word is clear about human life. Every life is valuable because every life is made in your image. We may look different from each other, but we have one very important thing in common. We're all your image bearers, Lord, which means we all have equal value. We all have purpose, and we are all part of your plan. Lord, you know the injustice that has occurred for thousands of years in different countries with all races of color and classes of people. We pray for the injustices that have happened to so many that these wrongs look very wrong to everyone who views these situations. Make it clear to everyone, God, that races of color are beautiful, valuable, and worthy. You are the author of justice, Lord. We ask that you would rain down justice in the form of convictions, transformed mindsets and hearts, and continued reconciliation. Lord, you know what injustice is like. Every sin committed is an injustice against you. Lord, help us to fight injustice in the right way. May we always look to you as the solution. We ask, Lord, that there would be more and more hearts transformed by your grace. May this time of injustice produce opportunities for conversation to talk about your grace mercy and forgiveness may we seek you in our quest for justice and may we continue to pray in your name for justice to be served when lives are taken and hateful actions are committed lord thank you for continuing to teach us your ways that we may become more and more like you you are a righteous god and you take no pleasure in evil doing Thank you for showing us that we can unite together as people and be of one accord. You are the one who judges and sits on the throne and instructs us to not repay evil for evil, but instead live at peace with everyone. Thank you for your son whom you sent to experience everything we would experience in this life yet without sin. Help us to become more like him in everything we do and say. Lord, help us to prepare ourselves through prayer and our actions to help us to be mindful of others. Help us to offer the hand of friendship to all those in need, lonely, bereaved, or ill, and those recovering from operations. Remembering the folk involved with the car crash yesterday at the cemetery, especially those who experienced the same thing last year. Lord, make us instruments of your peace to bring hope, demonstrate our faith to others, and help them to know the joy of your love. We ask for your blessing on the many refugees, the homeless, and who's subject to injustice around the world living with uncertainty. 
we ask that world leaders take on the message of hope and bring about peace and justice. Help us to achieve all that you would have us do. We pray that you would make our way purposeful and our footsteps firm out of your goodness and love. Give us a heart of wisdom to hear your voice and make us strong and determined like the persistent widow in the parable, who reminds us that even in adversity, we can continue to achieve our goals. We pray for our congregation, our minister Paul and his family, and give thanks for all the gifts of wonder, beauty, and most of all, sending your son Jesus as a light into the world of darkness. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I take no credit in this prayer, which was written by Anne Scherer. But you delivered it very well. <laughs> Thanks, Marjorie. We're going to uh, close our worship this morning uh, in the words of hymn number 362, Heaven Shall Not Wait.
And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.